Hi, beautiful people, and welcome to the Mojo Mecca podcast, a hub for the exploration of ritual, poetry, plants, and purpose. We are here for the deepening of our relationship to the earth, for the love of living in a sustainable way, for the creation of a global network of minxes seeking more mojo, for vulnerability, for thriving, and for joy. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful. Now let's dive into today's conversation. All right. So in this very potent conversation, I'm speaking to one of my closest sisters and allies, Ella Noah Bancroft. So she is an epic human, full stop, but she's also creating some very epic things and spreading some very important messages in the world. Her business, We Creations, that is spelt Y-H-I, encompasses upcycled jackets with her Indigenous artworks painted on them and vintage tees featuring the bold statement, Decolonized to Survive. Naturally, we dive into what decolonization and rewilding is and how we can actively practice them in our lives, Indigenous or not. Ella is a student of native plant permaculture, or bush tucker as it's known here. She holds workshops around how we can connect more with local plants and infuse them into our diets. She is also a student of tantra and sexology and is very much an advocate of women's liberation through their bodies, their blood and their sexuality. So sit back and enjoy this potent conversation. Um... So just before we begin, I'd like to do um, an acknowledgement of country and acknowledge the traditional people of this land uh, of Australia, both um, the West and East Coast, because you're there and I'm here. I would like to acknowledge um, the elders and ancestors that have walked before us, both black and white. I'd like to acknowledge all people in Australia and all people around the world who um, are trying to make a difference by being better human beings. I'd like to pay my respects to humanity, really. Mm, beautiful. So I would love to hear a bit about your journey of connecting more with your ancestry and your family line and how how that journey's been for you and the many different I guess phases that we go to and through in and out of that that connection so my my background or my um lineage is uh English Scottish slash Polish and Aboriginal um obviously the Indigenous component of me has definitely helped to shape who I am um, and my identity a lot more than the other two. Um, my mother is an Aboriginal artist and I grew up basically around her art and family like my whole life and because my grandfather, um, because of the history books, because of colonization, my grandfather was um, not allowed education and he also was quite a strange ashamed of being Aboriginal and um, in his time you know denial was the best way of survival for a lot of Aboriginal people so we as a family 
have always identified and um, I think identified for our ancestors who weren't allowed to and activated our voices for our ancestors who weren't capable of having their own in a society that that essentially wanted them to not be around. Um, so having such a strong connection to my Indigenous identities helped to shape a lot of my story and a lot of my projects in my later life also. I um, was born in Sydney, Australia. Um, my mum had a home birth and um, we buried my placenta in our family yard and then then after she separated with my dad um, she decided she wanted to go um, back to country um, back to where her, her father was from so when I was six um, my brother was nine she took us um, 11 hours north of Sydney um, just outside of a town called Grafton where we lived um, on an Indigenous mission essentially with all of the rest of our family members and other Indigenous people who'd been placed on the mission due to things like the White Australian Policy and the Stolen Generation, um, when they basically cattled together Aboriginal people from all different places and then dislocated them and created kind of like reservations similar to America, but here we call them missions. I think that time in my life really, really shaped me more than I could imagine. Um, the effect that it would have had on me at that time. But then when we moved back to Sydney, I, yeah, I mean, there was just something that was innately changed from being so remotely removed from society where I was living over an hour drive to even go and get milk or bread. Um, there's one school uh, which has two classrooms in it. When kindergarten year three have to, all learned together and year four and six all together and very small. There was maybe 30 of us and I think I was related to at least 65% of the, the other students. So, um, yeah, it imprinted me massively. I also, you know, was living in the bush and developed a really strong connection to country through that time and, you know, being not distracted by the city and electricity and, um, you know, a lot of these creature comforts that we have in the city that we take for granted were disabled for me when I was really young. And it allowed my, I think, imagination to grow, but I think it also made me really res resilient. It made me really um, aware of how comfortable, like, I could be and, and how uncomfortable I could be and actually where the growth is for me is in the uncomfortableness. I think that's how we learn as human beings is to constantly feel that we're not comfortable is to grow, is to learn, is to shape, is to understand. And yeah, it's probably one of, one of the biggest parts of my life and have determined the direction in which I've gone in. Mm, yeah, that's so beautiful. I've heard parts of, that journey for you, but I haven't heard it expressed in that kind of depth before. So it was so, yeah, it was so nice to just visualize you there. I was mostly just a rug rat, you know, running around with a bunch of dirt on my face, barefoot, a lot like me now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I would love to hear about a phase where you 
I guess, rebelled against that completely and, and how and why you came back to living and walking in that way again? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess rebellion for me started like any other human during the teenage years, you know, where um, suddenly any kind of, you know, identity that was formulated in my childhood, I kind of wanted to disintegrate from also being of mixed heritage um you know when you're younger and you're constantly confronted with the comments that like you don't look aboriginal or how much of it is and, and feeling this like need to overcompensate or explain myself or constantly just having to yeah pr- prove that part of me and um you know uh not anybody's fault but there's a lot of ignorance in this country about the history of um, the First Nations people and um, the assimilation process you know there are a lot of Indigenous people walking amongst us who don't look like what you would consider an Aboriginal person to be because actually our country forced the black out of them and essentially wanted them to be and integrate into wider Australia and become whiter and whiter and whiter so I think like for a lot of Aboriginal people can be quite a touchy subject just because we're also dealing with the ancestral traumas of what our parents suffered from and some of that is stolen generation where the children are taken away and integrated into society and complete connection loss of connection to culture Um, and some of it is also just like yeah, not accepting them and the only way of acceptance is is to disregard your entire culture in that way. So I definitely went through a struggle as a teenager trying to figure out where my place was in not only the Aboriginal community being fair-skinned but also the, the wider um, wider Australia and, and trying to express to people where this is where I'm from and this is, you know, who I am and and I can't, I can't deny that, you know, my grandfather is and always has been an Aboriginal man. His blood runs super strong through my family line. And we're all really proud to call ourselves Aboriginal because, like I said before, you, you know, the voices of my, my family have been silenced for so long and silence kind of stops now, you know. So I think I went through that rebellion stage in my teenagehood until I kind of found like indigenous dance when I was like in year 10 and became really amazing friends with a bunch of girls at my school who just re-inspired me to to keep identifying regardless of what I looked like and re-inspired me to to start like connecting to my roots again and I've I mean you know anybody that's been friends with me or known me for a long period of time will know I've always identified with being Aboriginal but it wasn't until I kind of fell into whatever you may call as the spiritual path um uh when I was about 23 really and I started to a lot of it was activated by going to festivals you know and this idea of like dancing under the stars and being in nature and reintegrating kind of like ceremony corroboree dance and and feeling like really strongly called to that, like feeling in my bones that like when I was dancing barefoot, like in the dirt, you know, um, under the sun or under the moon, that that was like really present in my DNA. And I think that 
was the initial kind of like sparking of like, I want to know more and I want to understand more and not, I don't want to just say that I'm something. I want to be it, you know, like I really want to find that thing and, and represent it the, the best that I can for all, for all people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how now do you ensure you're being that and walking that? What are some things that you really like to cultivate and continuously do? For me, I feel like I'm going to be spending not only this lifetime, but probably every other lifetime afterwards trying to get back to that original place, that original place that we all came from. Um, you know, there's so much programming in society and even in our language and, you know, what I speak and, and who I am that is so far from like the indigenous truth. You know, I definitely still live in a house and I have access to the shower and I have a fridge full of food and I'm not out, you know, hunting and gathering. But I think what I am doing with my life is trying to integrate that where I can and trying to become really aware of where I can make those small steps to rewild myself or undomesticate myself. And it's a, it's a process. It's really long. I'm, I'm by no means a master. I am merely a student, but you know, things that have really helped and impacted me is education and learning the right things. You know, I studied a horticultural degree in bush tucker and identifying native plants in this country and what kind of medicinal purposes they have for us and how to forage them and what to use them for. And, um, you know, not only in an edible way, but also in um, oil compressing or, you know, like lemon myrtle, for example, is really good insect repellent, itches, bites, burns. Just understanding basically the interaction with nature, nature around you. Like for me, the my journey with becoming indigenous again and and decolonizing is intrinsically like linked with my relationship with nature, and how present I am with plants, and how much I, I time I spend in the sun, and what kind of body movements I'm doing in a natural way amongst the trees or under the moon, and that that feels like the, the way to go for me, you know? And when I start to, to develop a relationship with the natural world, I then, I then just instantaneously am removed from, you know, the unnatural world. And I'm becoming more conscious just because I'm, I'm with her, you know? I don't want to buy, like, coffee and coffee cups anymore because I'm conscious of where that goes, you know? It's going straight back into the thing that makes me really happy that makes me feel so at home and so I think developing a really strong relationship with the natural world is a really like crucial part of of trying to get back to that place and understanding of where we came from mm-hmm. would you say that's like a big part of how you define decolonization that returning to land and to country yeah I think sovereignty is is a big one for it I think like yeah connection to culture and connection to to country and and for me decolonization is decolonizing what the dominant society's values are and what I believe is the best way to decolonize is to take your cues not from the dominant 
society, not from what is happening in pop culture, not from what's happening, you know, in the advice columns in beauty magazines, but take my cues from nature. So how can I actually learn from the natural environment environment around me about how to be the best person that I can be and that for me is what decolonization is it's like not allowing anybody else to tell you what you should and shouldn't be it's following your own truth and and following that in a rhythmic way you know like indigenous people around the world but also you know I speak from my own culture it you don't see things as a start and finish it's a constant circle the circular motion, the rhythm of what's happening. And, and you see that in nature all the time. When you start to understand that, you can integrate that into your own life to become happier in a way, you know, you can become more, less affected by small things and more appreciative of simple things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of something I was like musing over yesterday and writing out <laughs> um, about the concept of like, medicine too and what we see as medicine or as like healing to be that that quick fix thing you know take that pill and then you'll get that and then and also in reference to more of the I guess spiritual community or practices or like herbal medicines and things you know just kind of promising these ideas of like this will do this for you but really healing is not that simple either you know healing is that long winding road that cyclical that cyclical Mm -hmm. process and you are your own medicine like that is that is the only thing that's going to really help you heal and integrate what you need to it's never going to be an external thing but our relationship to nature and and to plants that we feel called to like work with or eat or whatever like that's what that's like a collaborative like dance (laughs) rather than like I am taking this for this you know and I yeah I I understand and like from what I've heard you speak about and other people like that is the relationship that indigenous people have had with the land it's not like it's not like a this for this it's like a dance you know and a cyclical like giving yeah and an understanding that you're you you are nature nature is you you know there isn't a separateness Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm curious, like, how would you recommend people who haven't had experiences like that with nature before or haven't like allowed themselves to drop into that space where they feel really connected to the natural environment or like, yeah, or maybe are afraid of that or don't know what that looks or feels like. And um, how would you recommend for them to begin to cultivate that deeper relationship with their inner nature and and nature mother nature yeah i mean uh, so i have like a rough like uh, rough tips on how to like i guess decolonize for everyone you can take them to the to whatever extent you want to you know what i mean and i think um you know we've we've spoken about understanding that the the earth and her resources are not ours to own um i think but really understanding that okay you can say that on so many levels but what are you actually doing in a way that's harming how much are you taking how much are you giving back how are you what what is your consumption level and like what are you consuming and what are you giving back you know and these like 
these are things that people know universally. They're very like aware of them, but the, the integration of acting on what you say is important too. You know, you can say so much, but if your actions aren't representative of that, you're just talking, you're just a talking head. So that's a, that's for me the number one. And then um, I mentioned it before as well, returning to nature in whatever form that could be. If you live in the city and you're close to the beach, go and hang out at the beach, you know, and understand what it feels like when you take yourself to a natural environment and look and just sit with that and then put yourself in a chaotic city or even a chaotic town or even, you know, near a highway and, and feel how your body reacts to it. and and yeah, you make the decision. At the end of the day, everybody makes their decision. They're their sovereign beings, but really tune into it and and start to see what comes up for you, especially in a thought process. Um, I think like a big one is coming and this is like going to get harder and harder as we continue down the slippery slope of social media, but um, reclaiming like we behaviors, mindsets, um, community behaviors, uh, mindsets that involve not just the individual, but how can I also extend hands and help other people? And how can I provide a little bit of space here? And how am I able to think as a collective Mm -hmm. rather than the individual? Um, That feels like a really important one. And then, you know, things like not judging people and Mm -hmm. um, trying to accept and implement that everyone kind of fits the norm and what I mean don't judge people who don't fit the norm is what I mean and and an acceptance of all is kind of really important too um eliminating competition within your individual relationships and comparison I think is a really good way to come back to your truth and yourself um and breaking these like idealistic patterns that we have in the west that money is linked to success that somehow the monetary and objects that we acquire is a reflection of our success rather than um, maybe the knowledge that we have or what we give back to our communities or what we give back to the earth like shifting our perspective as a society on success is going to be i feel like a, a massive way to change the world you change the mindset and and you tell people that success is growing your own food success is being able to spend a night camping by yourself in a tent and feel completely at ease you know like how do we shift what what we're considering success and what we're considering life's missions and aims to be and and change that mm-hmm yeah and then you know once you go through these steps then you start looking deeper into things like okay how do I then bring back things like rites of passage rituals and and silence and then also how do I release my fears of birth death and aging because basically all of these things in which you you we have been like programmed in a way they're keeping us from our power they're keeping us from stepping into our actual truth and our ability to understand that it's not just like not everything is running on a time schedule and a bank balance you know mm-hmm. yeah and so with the shirts that you created decolonized to survive so I'm curious what you what your intention is with that that statement as in like decolonizing to survive Mm -hmm. 
So what do you see the path being for people who don't like make some sort of inclination towards decolonizing their life or returning to the cycles of nature? So um, I feel like colonization is, it doesn't just affect, you know, indigenous people, it has affected everyone. Um, it, it, you know, you can see it represented within the rising rates of mental illness in our country and in other Western run countries that, that people are being severely affected by the system in a mental way, you know, and what I believe like decolonizing does, it's, it's stripping back the complex nature of the system we've created for something a little bit more simple. Um, not in a way to say that Indigenous culture isn't absolutely vastly complex, but it's just not so in the mind complex, you know? Um, so I think when we start to realise that colonisation is not serving us, that a lot of these programmings are not serving us, then we start to realise that this message is not about our own individual survival. It's about the survival of the generations to come after us. And it's about the survival of the only planet that we have to live on that provides so much for us. You know, I, I, I don't see this as like, this, this isn't like an individual statement. This isn't me saying like, if I decolonize, I'll survive. It's if I start to make an impact in my life and learn to bring in all of those sorts of tools that we spoke about and I share that with my brother's children and my children or my friend's children, I'm starting to change a, a next generation, but that's only through my actions. And until we start realizing that this isn't about our own individual ideas of life, it's about actually like how to think for the future generations to come, then, um, then, then we can start to see a difference. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I'm curious what you think about like what we're going to see in this life in terms of like on a global scale, because I definitely feel like there is this polarity happening between, you know, this movement towards being more sustainable and, you know, healthier. And, you know, of course, all of this like wellness industry that, is becoming so much more <laughs> mainstream um, and so many more people feeling inclined to move towards that. But then there's also the opposite of that where people are like, look at the state of America <laughs> and the government. And um, yeah. it seems like that polarity is getting so much more like intense. And I'm curious what you feel the direction of it will be in our lifetime. I don't know. I'm like, you know, I think about it sometimes. Are we going to fall into this post-apocalyptic planet where half of us have, have kind of returned to once what once what was, which was being closer to nature and more holistic views of living in tune with the cycles. And then the other half of us will turn into like half human cyborgs, you know, and live up in like the airspace with um, chips and, and all sorts of things interlaced into our veins to make us you know live forever or something I I don't know I don't know what direction we're going in at the moment it feels like a really scary and exciting time to be alive because I think there is like 
people doing some really incredible revolutionary things right now, but uh, it's also really hard, you know, it's also just really hard to know. I, I don't really know. I only know what I, what, what I'm doing and I only really know like what is right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I agree. We just have to continue to follow our own, um, inspiration and passion towards what feels right um for us in our walk yeah <laughs> yeah and other people sharing similar walks and just continue to yeah cultivate that way of being yeah and i think when you're in your like truth and you really feel like called to something then you step into your passion and if it aligns with you other people feel called to stand by your side you know mm -hmm. and and work in a collective way to, to to make change even if that's just on the level of you you know this does, it doesn't need to become you know a, a mass protest um, violence and yelling and me versus them it's like really about finding that inner peace within you and and doing the best like at the end of the day when you lie in bed you say like I did the best that I could do with everything I got given today yeah yeah exactly yeah I do feel like we're moving away from that even I, I understand the the place of protests but I don't feel like that's the energy that's really going to create changes even though people protest for amazing causes it's still like that same energy as what you're fighting <laughs> it's like the yeah i mean they also take all of that energy that you're using with a big crowd of people and become can become very mob-like mentalities but how much of the process is then taken back and integrated into life you know and i think this is like a really big lesson for a lot of people especially when they're de delving into um new streams of consciousness, different awareness, programs, workshops, all of these sorts of offerings that are guided by amazingly beautiful people who have so much to share. But actually the work is when you leave that workshop room, when you leave that seminar, when you leave that protest, how are you integrating everything that you have learned back into your life? Because just because you learn something on a weekend doesn't make you a master of it, you know? Like I learned algebra for however many years they taught it to me and I wouldn't even be able to tell you what to do with it. So it really comes back to the individual learning to integrate all the lessons that they've learned to make a change within themselves. Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to speak about some of the modalities that you have studied and feel called to walk with and share with other people. Um, yeah, I think one of one of the strongest, um, I wouldn't even call it a workshop. It was like transformational situations of my life. <laughs> um, has definitely been ISTA, um, the International Temple School of Arts. Um, if you don't know them, have a look at their stuff. I highly recommend it. It's like pushing the boundaries of what your story is, what your identity, what your identity is, how you trap yourself with your own thoughts, how you limit your potential. And I think one of the really like amazing and beautiful things about the way that they operate their spaces is that 
there's not a lot of talking, you know, like we do so much talking in our society. There's a lot of experiential learning. And when you look at how people actually learn things, it's by doing on a cellular level, it gets down to their, their, their bones, their skin, their blood. And, and from the action of doing like practicing, it becomes them, you know, if you practice something enough, it becomes the practice. And so ISTA is really amazing at, at putting you in these situations where you really have to feel and you have to experience it. And once you have that, you, something shifts and changes in you. And this is like really beautiful. And then there's also an amazing integration process afterwards and an incredible community of people to hold and support you through what you're going through. It doesn't just start and end at the beginning of um, the week or the month or however long you choose to be with them. So for me, I'd really recommend them. Um, and I mean, anything to do with learning plants, really. Um, studying like my horticultural degree and I also have done a permaculture course was super vital to my connection and understanding of the planet and also just like how much joy I get from like being in the dirt and around the grass and in that space with with plants and as a woman it feels really right to be doing that having my hands deep in the dirt and and growing food and providing that Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's your experience been when you've stepped up and out and held workshops and classes? And um, yeah, because I'm always curious about that, that process too, between, you know, you've studied something so long and it's so close to your heart, but then to really cultivate that into a, a workshop and share that openly is a whole other story and and yeah maybe some of the response that you've gotten from that because I know you've I've seen you've really stepped up and just have been wanting to share more workshops and more of yourself and these modalities so yeah I'd love to hear about that experience for you um yeah I guess I I mean I feel like I feel double-edged with being a teacher, right? So for me, I feel like I'm definitely a student until I'm at least 70. I'm, you know, I don't feel that I'm at an age or will be at an age yet to say that I'm like a master or a teacher, but I do have certain offerings that I, I, I like to provide, you know, as a service and, and also for myself. The more that I, The more that I teach people about stuff, the more that I'm embedding those ideas into my body the more that I'm sharing that the more the more that my life becomes that so for me really the workshops that I share are are based around that are based around my integration process and and continuing the ball rolling even after I've learned and and learning with people you know that it doesn't work in a structure like I've got the answers and I'm the teacher and I'll tell you it works in a symbiotic duality where like I learn just as much from the people that I'm teaching as they do from me and you know it can be as simple as like running bush tucker workshops with you know a bunch of 15 year old girls who really love chocolate so we're making bush tucker chocolate but I get to like do an entire chocolate workshop with them they get to learn how to make Mm -hmm. good chocolate and they get to learn about the native plants in the area medicinal purposes you know 
so I think I think like getting creative as well with with your message and with your offering is important because I could also you know I could run a, a rewilding workshop with a bunch of already green um, permaculturists who like love camping um, and that would be super rewarding but I could also do that to a bunch of corporates in in the big city and I feel like I would learn so much about myself and them in that way and how would I cater it to make actually get their attention to actually maybe like spark some conversation that isn't already on their on their lips or it hasn't already like entered their their thought patterns because for me like that's that's an important conversation to have as well mm-hmm. yeah totally agree and we were talking about it before about like and I've had this same experience it's like you feel so comfortable in sharing to people who are already like on the path and get it and you know and we kind of are drawn to more of those sort of communities too because it makes us feel safe and comfortable like you know obviously Byron where we live together and and also Bali and you know these kind of traveling spiritual if you want to call it that (laughs) not sure I really like that word but uh like those sort of communities uh where people are coming together with that you know kind of walking that similar path but of course there's like just as much dysfunction in those communities as there is in regular ones but absolutely I definitely feel the importance of sharing with communities who who maybe haven't experienced anything like that before and and that that it is fresh and new to them and and also um just really adapting the way that you would um share too to really match um the level that they're coming in with not like you know, in a negative way, it's just like adapting what you do to, to really relate. And I feel like that's a big part of what we need to do too, with our language and with what we offer and how we, I guess, share about it and market it. It's like to be more of that broad thing, because I feel like these kind of spiritual workshops or practices or whatever, just kind of get picked, like put into this kind of box where it's Mm -hmm. inaccessible to people who don't get that or haven't experienced anything like that before just feels way out of their like scope of what they see to be like accessible or true or yeah so I feel like that's a big part of totally and I think also it comes back to what we were saying at the beginning which was like putting yourself in those uncomfortable situations it's really uncomfortable to talk to you know a group of suits about how you know they should be like putting their hands in the dirt and looking to like empty their bank accounts so that they don't have to worry so much about finances because they'll probably challenge you you know and people don't like to be challenged but this is how we grow and this is how we allow like for really beautiful discussions and not arguments but like open perspectives to happen we need to allow everybody to have their choice to have a voice because then they really feel that they can move forward after they've said their piece and and that that feels like where the work is you know it feels like really important to do the work in the places where that feels like really uncomfortable to do it Mm -hmm. yeah and so how do you feel like I'd love to speak to you about we creations and how you see that 
growing and evolving and yeah, maybe speak about what you were already creating and then um, a bit about, yeah, the direction you feel it's heading in. Yeah. So um, we is like actually a Gamilaroi word. Um, it means sun goddess. Gamilaroi is a language group that um, come from outside of Sydney, indigenous language group. And basically I, I, yeah, I just started formulating my ideas around it about a year ago um, when I was feeling a massive need um, in my life to create, but not really, not really wanting to just create and create more waste. Um, and I think so often the creation process is so beautiful, but how many projects do, well, I can only speak for myself, but how many projects have I started and I haven't finished? And when I started to dig deeper into like, you know, obviously working with plants, I became really aware of my sustainability and my, my ecological footprint, which I've carried through into my business. And initially it started as using um, upcycle wood and, and painting on it and selling it as jewelry. Um, and it's kind of evolved over time to become more of a, it feels like more of a peaceful activist campaign rather than a business, if that makes sense. I'm definitely not in it for the profit, but the whole idea is to spark a conversation about how can we continue to create and, and not make a vast impact. And everything that I was looking at was pointing me back to, fast fashion the fashion industry being one of the biggest polluters um actually second biggest polluter behind oil um to our to our world and how much slave labor is involved how, how many textiles actually go into waste how our consumer societies have led to people just like aimlessly buying you know without even thinking and buying stuff that isn't quality and and buying stuff that takes mass amounts of our resources being water or is putting toxic chemicals all through our rivers. Um, you know, denim, denim being one of the biggest contributors to waterway toxins because of the dyes and also the amount of water that they use for the cotton in the denim. And yeah, as you start to kind of research this stuff, it can, it can be pretty overwhelming. Um, just the, yeah, the ignorance, I guess, for, I felt from myself and the sadness I'd felt from myself being a consumer and definitely buying from department stores and not thinking about where that piece of material had come through and how many hands had touched it and who actually gets to see the profits. So we as a sustainable clothing company, I'm, everything that I use is upcycled. I get it either at markets or um, op shops. I don't have any like wholesaler. I'm not getting anything like bags of, of vintage stuff from, from Europe. It's all pretty hands-on done by me. And then I print um, my artwork onto upcycled cotton and I, I, I sew onto the, to the denim or to the overalls or whatever I pick up. And then I have a bunch of upcycled T-shirts as part of my Decolonize to Survive campaign, which is screen printed. And... Um, the only shirts that I get made new are, are compostable. So you can actually compost the T-shirts after you've finished with them. I don't have any um, 
packaging at all. And so it's, it's very minimal, but it's about stripping back, you know, and again, like looking at simplicity and looking at ways to create and looking at ways to share cool creations, but without um, jeopardizing my integrity. And at the end of the day, no amount of money is, is worthwhile enough for me to jeopardize my integrity with my relationship with the earth and that's really important for me and I didn't feel right starting a business and going to um, Bali Thailand or India and getting all of my stuff made there and and coming back and selling it at exorbitant prices that doesn't it doesn't sit well for me and I have absolutely no judgment for people who want to do that but yeah, that's, that's just not my calling. And my calling is to spread a message of people about how we can still like, you know, feel like we're, we're contributing to society and creating, but not necessarily leaving this like giant gaping hole inside of her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's such an important message, especially for this sustainability movement that, you know, and the label that, that people put on, um, you know, fair trade, sustainable organic cotton um like garments and for people to just recognize that there is still a big process in that and you don't know exactly how they're being made and there is still a big impact on that and yeah it's been a big part of my journey too if uh, in just I just don't feel inclined at all to buy new things I literally only <laughs> buy things from op shops <laughs> and that's sure. that's just what I feel and like um, that's why I just so resonate with what you're doing with we, it just feels mm. so perfect too, to also marry your beautiful artistry with it and yeah, to recreate from what's already there because there's so much there that literally just goes, you know, to landfill. There's so much there that we can work with and, you know, recycle, reuse and there really is not much need for new creations. I know I also yeah. love fashion. I love style. And I so appreciate all of the brands that are out there creating what they are um, in, a, you know, really striving to be more sustainable in, in the ways that they're creating. But yeah, I so resonate with you in just terms of like, for me on the daily, I just, I just don't feel inclined to buy, you know, new things. It's like, it doesn't mm -hmm. feel necessary it's like I can go to an op shop and you know and or like buy from you and like know that that's something that's that's fully recycled already and that I'm just going to carry it on um yeah so I think it's so beautiful what you're doing thanks yeah I like it it's it's good to be feeling that I'm doing something that's definitely aligned with me as a human being and actually like a very strong part of my story it's definitely a massive part of my identity and also an extension of it and that's really what I think is like keeping the fire burning for me because I think just having conversation pieces with people who buy my art and the jackets that they get drawn to or buying the t-shirts is like I, I, I don't I'm not really in it to become like a clothing brand success that's not it I'm, I'm in it to share stories with people and maybe maybe just spark like a tiny little interest of how they could think of what they're maybe 
what they may be spending too much energy on, you know, and that could be like clothing and then therefore they have to work this five days a week because they want like, you know, the latest insert brand name here dress. And without recognizing that, you know, we, we went from having like four seasons and now like every two weeks, all the shop stores have like completely new looks in them and what's happening to all of the previous clothing that's, that was in there and also how, how many looks can we really have? Like, <laughs> I'm not sure when fashion is going to start realizing we're just honestly recycling the same looks, but we're not recycling the same clothing. Yeah. So much is being wasted. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know. It's so huge. Yeah. And it's crazy for me to hear like that's the second biggest cause of environmental destruction and resource use in the world like that's just wild like yeah you know and and it's also a psychological piece shopping like for women embedded in our dna embedded in our you know ancestral lineage is that we're the gatherers and there is actual serotonin that is released that's why people have shopping addictions there is this thing that when we gather and acquire things because we had to do it survivally first for for survival when we were hunter gatherers that you get this spike of like serotonin you get this like chemical spike of happiness you know it makes you want to return and buy something else but when we realize that that's just that it's not the object that we're buying that's making us happy it's just the idea of getting something new because we're intrinsically gatherers in our lifetime why not just go to the op shop and get something new why not just go to the garage sale or you know shifting energy as well this is a it's a big piece in the consciousness how do you look at money as energy and and who are you giving your money to you know every time you're walking into these giant supermarkets these massive department stores these huge labels you're giving people who are so so wealthy your money you know and i just like always always think like support your farmers support like local business support young artists who are trying to do something different because if we don't continue to spread the energetic money around we're just going to continue to create poverty in this world and that will be at our hands we will be responsible for that yeah and it's yeah it's so up to us in our daily decisions of who and what are we supporting yeah with our food too and just really really striving to bring it back to the local bring it back to the people who you can at least like have a sense of where that's been created or who that's been created by and that just it just brings so much more empowerment i think too and so much more health to your life yeah for sure and also you know i, I don't know if it's because i lived in melbourne for four years or if it's because like i i only ever op shop with my mum because of our low socioeconomic situation when i was younger but op shopping is actually amazing like to to not go into a h&m and see the replication or like 150 other people wearing the same look as you 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 create your own individual style you know you become like the master of your own identity you don't become just like a shape Mm -hmm. op shopping is literally one of my favorite things to do (laughs) me too and because it spikes those serotonin levels i know you know i just 
out how I could still remain a dedicated op shopper while still being a minimalist because all I do now is buy my op shop goods and sell them onto other people, which is great. So I'm getting all the serotonin spikes, but I still have very limited objects around me. It's perfect. Right. Yeah. And so what has some of the response been already from you sharing these upcycled jackets and the t-shirts and yeah. And your art. Um, yeah, the response has been like really great. I mean, I, I feel like I've just soft launched. I only really started, um, the project's been kind of bubbling for like the last four or five months, but really I feel like I've only just started kind of getting myself in there in the last month. And I'm, I'm sent like, you know, t-shirts decolonized to survive t-shirts to california i sent um, some to new york i sent some to france i sent some to england i've sent some to australia it's been really interesting actually watching who is reaching out to me and why they're interested in it and also seeing like that there are people in other countries who are resonating with this it's not just australia and non-indigenous indigenous people and um, you know, one thing that I don't publicize, but I do do is that for every, for every decolonized to survive t-shirt that I sell, um, I give one away to a first nations person anywhere in the world. So, um, it's, it's, it's bridging also the equality, you know, not just because you have money, do you get to stand in a collective and, and, and have a voice, but you, you can have it in regardless you know like that's kind of what I want to do is I could somebody buys something here and somebody else gets something for free it's like we, we need to start deciding our own rules within our businesses and what feels right for us and you know the money game isn't what I'm in like I'm not in to have a lot of money because then if I have a lot of money I'm just gonna spend it on a lot of stuff <laughs> so why not be trying to like spread that out a little bit a little bit more to, to everybody else. And, and that feels really great for me. It feels really great that I can, that I can give my cousins or I can give like family and friends of mine who, you know, maybe don't have $33 to buy a t-shirt because that, that could be what they need for food, but they still get to wear something with pride and, you know, something that directly affects them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's a big gap that happens with the whole wellness movement and everything. Like I get that, um, you know, more sustainable fashion pieces and health products and everything do cost more to make because they are higher quality, but it definitely does create a separation between people who really can't afford that. They really don't have that money to spare. And, you know, even if they would really love to try that or wear that, um, it's not a reality for them in the moment. So yeah, I think that's so epic what you're doing and really bridging that gap um, because I see that so much too. And I've been far more aware of it now in terms of like the study I'm doing um, with community services and counseling work and understanding um, just the sphere, like we're all in different um, just ways of life and situations and circumstances and um, to just create more of that accessibility uh, to these practices and these um, products if you want to call it that um, rather than having it be more of an 
exclusive kind of separate yeah. thing. Privilege. It's really so much more simple than that. It's not this, you know, crazy outlandish thing. It's like, like you said, it is that part of the decolonization process and that can be so simple in terms of that. And also way more cheap because you're simplifying rather than yeah. trying to buy all of this crap, like to be healthier or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I had a very wise woman once say to me, um, you know, you should stop seeking happiness from external things and 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 look for happiness within. You know? Okay. And those words are really strong, you know, and it's definitely it, it's it, it's it's an embedded concept, I think, of humanity that's been passed on by many gurus and, you know, like religious um, leaders and so forth but it, it it's so true and to have somebody who I I really respect like say that to me in a really like honest way and pull me out of my you know I'm I'm by no means a saint I definitely am still you know like uh, want want to eat like this or that or you know I want to try this or I want to impulse by this and or I want to have that great love and yeah there are definitely still lots of things that I have to work through but the reality that 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 those words fell to me was like, what's my integrity? What's my truth? And what actually makes me happy? You know, I'm coming back to what can I lie my head in the pillow at night and feel super peaceful that I did everything that I could that day to be the best person I could possibly be, that I could be the happiest for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Coming back to that, that concept of just being your own medicine. Um, yeah. Rather than seeking it externally and using those outward things as more of the collaborative you know and celebratory things too you know celebrating all of the beautiful foods and you know clothing and everything that you know especially as women we are so connected to because like you said we're the gatherers and we love to just like have beautiful (laughs) adornments and you know, eat in a way that feels nourishing and beautiful too. And so I don't feel like, yeah, as you said, with the decolonization, it's not about giving that up. It's just about like really being a bit more mindful of what you are taking in and why and just really sitting and questioning all the things that you feel inclined to take on or in to you in your life. Yeah. And people too, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's also part of it, like rituals you know rituals and rites of passage and 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 proper presence you know like when you are consuming something like how much presence are you actually having with it and how distracted are you you know Mm. really it's an effect to how much we then consume because if we're not being present at the time with what's going into us or what we're even you know absorbing it could be on a sound level or a visual level then we'll be constantly seeking more because we've been so distracted that we haven't actually been sitting with what that thing is Mm -hmm. for sure yeah a big part of my medicine recently has been also just not taking myself and like my spiritual journey if you want to call it that like too seriously and just bringing it back to the day by day and listening on the day on the daily to what I need to do or listen to or watch or connect with on that day 
and yet like not putting too many boundaries on myself too. <laughs> Cause I feel like there's so many, I don't know when you kind of are striving towards whatever we're even striving towards, like wellness or <laughs> um, connection or like evolution or whatever it is, you can kind of tend to put barriers around yourself of like, okay, I eat this and I don't eat that. Or I go here or I don't go there. Or I like connect with these people, but I don't connect with these people. Like they're not, but it's like, yeah, I hear you, you like embodying and integrating that too. It's like that. I don't know. We do really need to just listen on the daily and really remove those blockages around like, I am this, but I'm not that. Mm-hmm. Seriously. We are seriously like ever evolving and completely almost changing. Yeah. Don't ever let like what happened yesterday determine tomorrow for you. There's always a possibility to change. And like I embrace it. I say bring on the change. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Oh. As I'm talking to you, I'm just like um in my backyard but naked free bleeding because I'm on my moon feels really nice to be having this conversation and be free bleeding I'm like you know I just did a wee in in my garden and I'm like yeah you know what this is my truth this is my integrity (laughs) (laughs) on that note do you want to speak anything about like decolonizing our menstrual cycle because I feel like super inspired about that right now too (laughs) yeah I mean Wow, I've hung out with some, like, such strong, powerful women, one specifically who has just, like, changed and shifted my my whole relationship with with my my menstrual cycle, my moon, whatever you want to call it. I, um, yeah, she's been a great teacher for me, and she definitely, you know, was a big, introduced me to the moon cup and, um, and and also throughout our relationship together, then introduced me to free bleeding and introduced me to um, yoni sun sunbathing and you know like redeveloping I guess a relationship with our vaginas the same as we re- um, can redevelop a relationship with our natural state. And I think as women, we have been told so often that that is private that that's shameful that you know that it's disgusting that it's gross but actually it's the most incredible thing in the world when you're a woman and you can fully embrace your blood and it's taken me a long time and I just turned 30 this year but um you know I'm I'm really like thankful that I I free bleed now and I use um hemp whites um so you know when I'm like on my heavy heavy flow but I also I'm just trying to know when I have my flow that that's probably the beginning of my of my time to like be a little bit more insular to not be going out so much to have some time to connect with my womb and in that way that does allow me the space to free bleed. Um, for a while I was using a moon cup and definitely like offering my my blood to the earth and I think just like being able to see like how incredible this stuff is and how incredible it is as women that every month we bleed and we don't die and like that this thing is just like our full life force and we create from it you know and we're constantly when you're ashamed of that part of you you're you know you're ashamed of of your creation you're ashamed of life you're ashamed of yourself and of course you're going to look for it then external influences to make yourself happy because you can't be happy with what you have you know 
I feel like the decolonization of the womb is like the next movement that's going to happen. And, and I mean, we've definitely started to see it. You know, you've had lots of political movements with women who are free bleeding and, and, and reclaiming our blood. And I think the more of us that do this, the more normalized we make it for our daughters who are going to come through, you know, and we have to lead the way and show them this is nothing to be ashamed about. This is actually a place where there should be, you know, a rite of passage where you come in, you become a woman and you're celebrated for your blood and makes you a blood sister. And how great that you're on this journey with us, you know, and we have to, as women, change our mindsets because I really don't want my daughter growing up in a world where she feels she can't go to school because she's scared and she's going to like bleed everywhere or that she doesn't want to like go to a a party and experience a dance or whatever she may want to do in her youth because she's worried of this thing and this burden that women carry with them sometimes their entire life that they're worried they're going to bleed and people will know or that they don't want to like become intimate with people because of their blood like blood is sexy I'm so down so sexy (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah how would you encourage people to like really reclaim that in terms of their sexuality too because I feel like that's a whole important piece like women just feeling so ashamed to like let their partners in in that time and you know yeah I mean for me anyway I mean I don't know I'm I think I'm like always a little bit like sex like always a bit turned on I don't know just it's in my character (laughs) but I um I think First of all, like every woman makes a decision for herself what's her truth and her body. And I trust so much in women that they will make the right decision for themselves. Um, but for me personally, like I think, yeah, of course, like, you know, if I've, I've been free bleeding for like three days and I haven't like been near a body of water, maybe I'm not going to feel like my freshest. But that comes back down to like self-love and care, you know. I bathe and I make sure that I'm like – feeling clean and 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 feeling like ready to be open with somebody but I can still definitely do that on my moon you know and and it's just about preparing yourself and preparing your body body because it's going through an amazing cleansing time so how do you also cleanse your exterior and your your interior and think about what you're eating and become aligning your like kind of hormones in that way to really feel empowered that when you like know want to dive in sexually you're just in your fullest and and it doesn't really matter if somebody else has a problem with it it's their protection yeah yeah such a journey I mean like I I think you know I for me like for a woman if she's bleeding I'm like all in like bring it on you know like that's it is sexy it's so sexy to see a woman bleed and be fully into it and okay with it and like yeah embrace it like it's it's abnormal I guess and that's why it's kind of really sexy because it's confident yeah right yeah exactly it is that confidence I think it comes back to that that comfortability and that yeah if you own it then of course it's going to be sexy you know but there's definitely uncomfort in the process of really like, and that comes back to what you were saying before. Like, you love the journey of being uncomfortable. And I think that's what we really have to be comfortable with, <laughs> uncomfort in, the, in yeah. the process, you know, and especially around our sexuality and our blood and all of that because it is messy. It is uncomfortable. 
that's what it is and that's part of the beauty of it um and opening ourselves sexually is uncomfortable too definitely can be even if For sure. you're comfortable you know in some moments it's like it's always vulnerable it's always new <laughs> so yeah being comfortable in the uncomfort and trusting that process and continuing to show up for it show up for yourself is is huge yeah absolutely i think like i think also like again like educating yourself and realizing that maybe like what we have been taught about the way to be and act like constantly challenge that and, and seek um seek people out who are who do have radical ideas who do have things that you resonate with there's an it's an incredible book called the woman code um and it's written by a lady called uh lisa vitti basically talks about how you can realign your 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 woman code um you can basically step into your fullest power as a woman through like a food-based program and the food is your medicine and the food helps you to rebalance your hormones and what she talks about in it is in depth like what every woman should be reading about how to walk breathe and be a woman in in this body in this day and age Mm, amazing what was that called again the woman code all about how to perfect your cycle, if you're having fertility problems, PMS, anything in the womb space, but also like so great to just know like what hormones, what's happening when, that we have like four phases of the moon, you know, we've got our menstruation, our lunar, our ovulation, you know, there's, there, there is these times. And I think as women, we're not taught that, that the hormones that are released in these periods of times actually affect our mood and how amazing if we were told in this time, this is going to spike. And so you may be feeling a little bit more insular or anxious rather than just being like, I'm not sure why my emotions are all over the place, you know? And having to like apologize for it to other people or feel about it. It's so ridiculous, isn't it? Rather than just being like, Hey, I'm ovulating. I feel like going out and dancing and I'm very like confident today. (laughs) That's where I sit with it. I literally feel with every cycle, I'm so much more like, I just am so that, like I feel so outward and creative in my, um, in my ovulation time. But then like, I'm just, there's so much up and in me when I'm bleeding, I'm just like so on edge. I can just feel all of the shifts happening in me and all of the things coming up that I need to let go of and yeah it's like the more you tap into it the more you're like oh my god wow it is such an intense cycle but it's beautiful it's like you're the full spectrum every month you're like wow there's all of this yeah. in me. <laughs> i'm so many different people in one yeah we're multifaceted you know it's great i'm also a gemini so i'm multi 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 multifaceted. <laughs> <laughs> I know I miss you <laughs> I miss you too <laughs> I just finished bleeding actually too it's so funny I my blood my blood cycle it just keeps changing I was literally new moon like two months ago and now I like mm. just finished yesterday around four. yeah it's weird 
I just got mine yesterday just before the full moon and blood moon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so do you want to share with people how they can connect to you and to we and to everything else that you create? Yeah. Um, I, my Instagram, Eleanor Bancroft, um, and my company Instagram, we underscore creations. Um, and also check out the website, www.wecreations.com. That's got um, the Decolonize to Survive campaign on it. It also has um, a shop if you want to purchase and support. Um, the shirts are $33 and also the one-off pieces which are put up once a week you can have a look at and um yeah just remembering that you know if every t-shirt that you're buying is something getting given to somebody else and spreading a unified message together really um and yeah you can also reach me if you want to shoot me an email about anything that i do in the rewilding movement with eleanorbancroft at gmail.com and that's it that's it but it's not really yeah. it uh, it's a lot of platforms, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the social media things that you know. It, I actually, it's one platform, but I just tricked you guys into thinking they were numerous. It's one platform and and a Gmail, but I'm trying to not stay so like, you know, on the in the lots of different platforms because then it keeps me out of nature. <laughs> I know. I yeah. We were talking about it before. The interesting like the balance. I don't want to spread myself too thin but then I get like I also love these platforms and obviously you know with this podcast and everything I just I feel like it's so so, like it feels really a big part of what I'm doing is to like work with the platforms and share these beautiful conversations and that's what I feel most inspired about but yeah in terms of like all of the different ones that we're present on it definitely is like can definitely bring you out of nature time because <laughs> it's like yeah. it's so much upkeep anyway <laughs> yeah for sure and it's just about finding that that balance for you yeah no but and knowing that knowing we can always keep working to to be better and do better you know and that we don't have to like be it right now you know we're so lucky that that we do continue to keep learning we have this vast amount of education that we can taken that we have all the privileges so we should be using them to our best advantage Mm -hmm. yes exactly who knows when they're going to like i don't know who knows what the next platforms will be so we might as well just like chip us and put us in factory farms and we'll just become computers no (laughs) i'm joking no we'll disappear into the bush if that goes down for sure for sure um well i love you and thank you so much for saying yes to doing this conversation i'm really excited to put it out there and um, drop people deeper into your perspective and the way that you walk in the world because i feel like it's such an important message and yeah you inspire me so much and yeah i'm grateful to know you me too with you. I love you and I'm so proud of you and everything you're doing. It's really awesome and it's great that we can be sisters and also help each other out in the ways we just support each other so much, you know, women supporting women. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Amen, sister. Amen. <laughs> how do, well, oh. in like, in your language, how do you usually like complain? say amen? Yeah. You, uh, oh, way. Oh, way? Yeah, it's like final ending statement. Like, yeah, I agree. Or like, like an amen, but not, you know, amen. Oh, way. Oh, way. Oh, way. Like, because I, I can Yahweh. Is that different language? Uh, so in the Bundjalung Nation, there's a bunch of different dialects. We're coming like three and a half hours inland, so it depends in which in which clan you're actually going from. Do you know what I mean? So there could be like four different words for water spread out over the Bundjalung Nation, but they're all in the Bundjalung language. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Like I said, it's not simple. It's totally complex, but it makes it works. Mm-hmm.